Did you know that the bra is responsible for helping save the U.S. military 28,000 tons of steel during World War I? And that wearing a bra can literally kill you? Learn all about the bra's uplifting history in today's episode. Hey y'all, I'm Christina and you're listening to History and Hearsay. On this show, we explore inspiring and sometimes dark and mysterious characters and events from history. So if that's something you're into, go ahead and subscribe because when it comes to history, things may not always be as they appear. And on this show, you get to decide, is it history or is it hearsay? Once upon a time, there was a girl who wanted to wear a skimpy outfit. So she ditched her restrictive corset and risked it all for fashion and the future of womankind. Mary Phelps Jacob was born in New York in 1891 to a prominent New England family. Her ancestry included people like Governor Bradford, which if you are an American and you listen to anything in your American history class, he was the Plymouth Colony's first governor. She was also a descendant of Robert Fulton, who was the developer of the steamboat, and another guy whose name I accidentally erased from my notes, but he was the, one of the founders of New England. So. All of that to say her family was pretty hoity-toity. And as a child, Mary attended school for dancing and horseback riding. It kind of sounds like she pretty much could do whatever she wanted. And it was said that she wasn't really that great of a student, but I guess she just enjoyed following her passions and hobbies. Being in a highly regarded family, Mary had many favorable prospects for marriage, and she was set to join the ranks of the American aristocracy. Why do I struggle with that word? But it sounds like Mary wasn't really just ready to fall in line. By the time she was in her late teenage years, she was sick and tired of wearing corsets. But what's a girl to do? Corsets were the only accepted undergarments for women at that time. The corset actually dates back to the 1500s and is attributed to Catherine, the wife of King Henry II of France. In the 1550s, Catherine made it illegal to attend court, AKA go to all the parties at the palace, if you had a thick waist. I know men get a lot of the blame for this kind of stuff now, but that was started by a woman. In an attempt to get these tiny waists and attend court, women started wearing corsets and kept wearing them for nearly 350 years, all because someone didn't want to miss a party. They say beauty is pain, but obviously so is FOMO. The corset worked by compressing the body at the center and forcing a woman's flesh either up or down. The corset's stiffness was reinforced with steel or whalebone struts. It was said that it could squeeze a woman's waist down to as little as 16 or 17 inches, which created, as you can imagine, an extremely exaggerated hourglass shape. When I was young, my sisters and I used to love watching Gone with the Wind and looking at all the beautiful dresses they had in that movie. And I remember at one point, Scarlett O'Hara talking, like after she had her baby or whatever, she had her maid like trying to cinch her to her corset and she was going on and on about how her waist had to be down to 16 inches. I remember thinking that was really small, but I never realized how small that was until I tried to measure it one day. I took a measuring tape to do the, like the circumference and I realized it's the same like as a roll of toilet paper. That's what 16 inches is. So just to tell you guys how small 16 inches is, like that is just, I mean, that's like a small child, maybe not even a small child. I should measure the waist of my toddlers and get back to you guys on that. As you can imagine, even though people were much smaller back then than they are now, that was still extremely, extremely painful. 
And these corsets were not only painful, but also limited movement to the point that breathing was difficult. And as you can imagine, a lot of women actually ended up fainting from their breathing being restricted so much. So if we head back to 1910, we find a 19 year old Mary who's getting ready for a debutante ball. She's purchased a sheer evening gown with a plunging neckline, and she just knows that it's going to look fabulous on her. But when Mary puts on her dress, she realizes that her corset is literally ruining the entire thing. And it comes up higher than the neckline. It's just poking out all the silky fabric in all these places. And Mary's like, you know what? No, I am done with this. I have this beautiful dress and this stupid thing is just ruining it. I refuse to wear this dumb thing for a second longer. So she rips off her corset. She's like, Marie! Marie was her maid. So Marie comes running and she helps her gather a bunch of supplies and together they work on this little art project and they take two handkerchiefs, some ribbon and some cord and they make a simple backless brassiere. So then Mary puts on this backless brassiere under her dress of course and she goes to the ball. Mary's new undergarment is light and it's a bit risque for the times but it actually complemented all the new fashions that were coming out as gowns were starting to get a bit more risque as the years were going on. And all of her friends and family definitely noticed. They're like, girl, you look so good. Like, you totally look like you can breathe. What are you doing? And she's like, yeah, you guys, I'm not wearing a corset. I just made a replacement with some handkerchiefs. And they're like, what? We can do that? So they're all super excited about it and they all just have to have it. So she starts making her backless brassiere for all her friends and family. And this goes on for a little while until one day she actually gets a letter in the mail and with the letter, there's a dollar and it's a total random stranger, someone she doesn't know at all that says, here's a dollar. I'd like for you to make me one of your brassieres. Light bulb. Mary's like, mm, this could be an awesome business. So Mary writes to the patent office and she includes all of her sketches of her design. And in November of 1914, Mary is awarded a patent for the backless brassiere, making her the first person to patent a brassiere in the United States. So for her company, Mary took on a new name. She called herself Caress Crosby and she starts the Fashion Form Brazil Company where she employed two women to manufacture the wireless bras for her. She ended up making several hundred of her brassiers and she even received a few orders from department stores, but her business never really took off, possibly due to the lack of publicity. I'm betting that advertising undergarments was a lot more complicated back in those days. So in 1915, Mary decides to sell the rights to her patent and it's purchased by the Warner Brothers Corset Company for $1,500. And over the next 30 years, the Warner Brothers Company went on to make over $35 million on Mary's patent alone. You might be thinking your girl missed out on a lot of money, but if you've ever tried to start a business, you know that the key to everything really is marketing. And I don't think it's as easy for an individual to do marketing as it is for a huge corporation that has an entire team of experts that are working just toward this effort. In addition to that though, I personally think that it all came down to timing. Consumer acceptance of the bra was triggered in a large part due to World War One. Not only did the design fit well with the new flapper clothing style trends that were already starting to emerge, but the lack of metal in the bra actually made it a perfect alternative during World War I. In 1917, the U.S. War Industries Board asked women to stop buying corsets so they could free up metal for war production. This step liberated some 28,000 tons of metal, like we talked about earlier. That's enough for them to build two battleships. 
Additionally, the Great War shook things up domestically. So women were now working in factories instead of just being at home and they had to wear uniforms for the very first time. So they really needed practical, comfortable undergarments that they could easily move around with while they were working in the factories. So this sounds like a pretty great story, right? And it's almost entirely true, except for the fact that Mary Jacobs did not invent the first bra. Her design was simply the first to be widely accepted. In 1893, a woman by the name of Mary Duke patented her invention, but she actually called it a breast supporter, and it closely resembled what bras look like today. While Mary Phelps Jacobs design flattened the breasts, making them fit into the current trendy styles of the time, Mary's device actually had two separate pockets, one for each breast with straps that went around the shoulders, and it was then fastened with a hook and eye closure in the back, just like modern bras. So Marie's invention is actually more what the modern bra looks like now, but she failed to successfully market it. And so when you research who invented the bra, you usually come up with Mary Phelps Jacob and Marie and her device are hardly ever mentioned at all. Most of them give Mary all the credit. Again, makes me think that maybe the ban on metal during the war is really the factor that super pushed the brazier into high fashion and being accepted by everyone. So if you hate wearing a bra, you can go ahead and blame the whole thing on World War One. As you can see, similar inventions for supporting the breasts previously existed, and Mary was just the first to patent an undergarment named the brassiere, which is a word derived from the old French word for upper arm. So maybe if Marie had used a French word like brassiere, to name her product instead of just calling it breast supporter. I mean, that don't sound exciting or fun. Maybe she would have gotten the credit instead of Mary if she had just named it something more interesting and fun. French words always sound better, don't they? And you know, maybe another reason that people like to report Mary Phelps Jacob as the inventor of the bra is because that girl, she had a bit of a scandalous life. She was given free love all in multiple countries. She was married three or four times. She even started a publishing company with one of her husbands that ended up publishing some pretty famous authors like Edgar Allan Poe. And she went on to write, which, you know, YouTube don't like that word, but she went on to write that scandalous stuff. And she even got involved in politics, founding the organization Women Against War. So your girl was busy. In 1922, a Russian Jewish immigrant named Ida Rosenthal, who was a seamstress at a small shop called Eden Frocks, came up with the idea of having different cup size for bras. She shared her idea with her husband and he thought it was a great idea. So together with her husband and the shop owner, Ida came up with an invention for what she called the uplifting bra. Don't you just love supportive husbands? I have one of those, they're pretty great. As I mentioned before, during the 20s, flat-chested fashion was really in with companies called Boyish Form that was really popular, but Ida promoted the new look and she called her company Maiden Form. They developed bras for all ages and sizes. That way women of all ages could be customers and stay customers for life. By 1924, the supportive uplifting bra was born and this creation helped Maiden Form to be one of the most popular intimate apparel companies, which is now a $40 billion industry. After 1930, all manufacturers in lingerie that we now know, such as Warner, 
Lilia France and others. I don't really know any of them, but they all emerged. And many of them continued to make improvements on the bras. They got the A to D cups adjustable straps. They added padding to the cups. And this is around the same time that the brassiere became shortened to the word bra by young college women, which is not really a surprise because we all know college-aged kids don't like to finish full words. The brow industry also started including in some of their fiber technology with the cotton and lace they used and elastic. They started adding more colors and patterns and just making bras more fun to wear, or maybe not fun to wear, but more pretty in that kind of way. During the 30s and 40s, the popularity of actresses like Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell caused breast enhancing styles to actually start to gain more popularity. The 1960s, of course, was really famous for its bra burnings, but as those women matured, that trend quickly lost support, if you know what I mean. And the bra has made a great comeback ever since. We have the Wonder Bra, the 18-hour bra, cross your heart and hope not to die bra, training bras, jogging bras, and then you had people coming out with breast implants and you needed extra support for that, so that changed the way that people started wearing bras. Madonna walking around in her underwear, Victoria's Secret, which I guess was never a secret. Everybody seems to know about that one. So as you guys probably already know, all kinds of bras have been created for every conceivable purpose to do the things that corsets have done in previous generations. Either minimize, uplift, show off cleavage, maximize. And current statistics say that on average, women in America own six bras. Mary Phelps Jacob lived until 1970 and was able to see some of the many improvements made to the bra over the years, which if you ask me, most of the so-called improvements have really just been more about making bras fit fashion trends rather than fit in women's bodies, but maybe that's just my back fat talking. Mary was asked towards the end of her life about bras, and she was quoted as having said, I can't say the brassiere will ever take the great place in history like the steamboat, but I did invent it. Did you though? Did you really though? So. What about a bra's ability to kill? I know I promised that in the beginning and you guys have been wondering about it. In 1994, in a book called Dress to Kill, it was suggested that wearing a bra may inhibit the normal function of the lymphatic system in and around your breast. And so the result is a decreased removal of toxin from the breast and an increased occurrence of breast cancer. Based on a sample of 4,730 women, they concluded that women that go braless have a 21 times less chance of developing cancer. However, there were a lot of issues with the study that was quickly torn apart by the critics because they actually failed to incorporate many lifestyle choices that typically go into whether someone's at risk for cancer or not, like smoking, alcohol usage, whether you work out or not, however weight you are, all those things. To end this little fascinating discussion on brassiers, I will give you guys one case of death by bra. In 1994, a 23-year-old woman was walking through a park in Vienna when lightning struck the underwire in her bra and it killed her. I know, shocking, huh? Oh, too much, I'm sorry you guys. So I'm guessing today's episode wasn't a huge surprise to anybody. Somebody invented a bra because it solved a problem for them. In this case, it helped to make things more comfortable. What I found most surprising about the story was the fact that the first bra didn't catch on. 
Like that one sounded a lot better actually. So what'd you guys think of this one? Did you already know the story or did you have it like wrong? Did you have the traditional story about Mary being the actual inventor whenever somebody else came out with it first? Let me know what you think in the comments down below. And if you enjoyed this video, give it a thumbs up. Make sure you don't forget to subscribe on your way out if you're not already. And I'll catch up in the next one. Bye.